Welcome to the bridge. Good morning. We're so glad you're here today with us. This is the last week of unwholesome talk. How many is thankful for that? Amen. Uh, more than one, hopefully. Um, so this series has been one that, as we began in week one, we talked about how that uh, I wasn't looking forward to it personally because I knew uh, that uh, some people would uh, be taken back by some of these messages, and that's okay. Uh, in church talk or church slang, often we'll talk about the preacher stomping on our toes. And how many will say, that's okay, I love you anyway, please do that for me. Just let me know it's okay to stomp on your toes every now and then, because God is the one asking us to step up and step up to the plate in this generation in which we live and be the example that he's called us to be. And he doesn't want us as Christians to be living a life with unwholesome talk, being in the forefront of everything we say and do. So the verse that we've been using for this series is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. This is the New International Version. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What if as a society we would pivot to living our lives to benefit others? This verse is pointing us in a direction and God is asking us, to lay our lives down and begin to live our lives for others. Christ came and set this example for us to follow. He didn't live his life for himself. He laid his life down for others. He laid his life down for us. And he said in the last days of his life that no one can take it from him. But he willingly laid it down. He made a decision to give his life for us. Heaven is a reality for the ones in this room who have given your heart and soul to Christ because of that gift that he gave on the cross of Calvary. We are saved because of that decision that he made. Choices are powerful. The choices that we make determine destinies for future generations. An unwholesome talk often tears down when God is asking us to build others up. And this is the last week of this sermon series and we'll start something a little bit different next weekend but it's a standalone next weekend that's going to be really good. I know it's Memorial Day weekend and it'll be a time where that I'm sure some of you will be away with family and taking care of some business that you'll be taking care of on Memorial Day. But we've talked about the last four weeks, this unwholesome talk, and I'm sure that every person in the room today has mastered the squelching of unwholesome talk. 
And I know as bridge people that we've mastered that and there hasn't been any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, period, in the last four weeks. Is there anybody out there that hasn't mastered and you got the certificate to prove it? It's graduation time. Anybody get their masters in squelching unwholesome talk? I would doubt it. How many has been convicted a little more during the past four weeks when you know that unwholesome talk has come out of your mouth? Amen, for me. I know the second that it begins to happen, and it's almost like you can feel it coming, it's kind of like throwing up, you can feel it, you know that, whatever that metal taste in your mouth, and you know it's coming, and you just can't stop it, and it comes anyway. That's kind of how unwholesome talk is, that as we become accustomed to be aware of it and know it's coming, you'll feel it coming, but sometimes it's hard to stop it once it's already coming up out of your throat. It's a whole lot like vomit. Thankful for Danny yesterday uh, coming down, him and Dusty, and helping out at the uh, Mayfest downtown. And it was a great event. A lot of people showed up. And me and Danny was running around and sweating. And I wore pants and I shouldn't have. And thank you, Ammon, for letting us steal some water for one of the vendors and from the bank. And uh, just had a great time. But Danny went over to Dad's display, and Dad was making... Uh, tobacco sticks and some wood shingles and Dusty and Danny was going to get their masters in uh, the art of making tobacco sticks and uh, or I call it biker sticks. Everybody looked at me funny when I would say that. I was down at Willis's there the night and he's like, what are you saying? I said, biker sticks. What is it? He didn't know what I was saying. Biker sticks. It's tobacco sticks, I guess. But Danny went over and he uh, began the process to get the fro and Dusty was amazed by the old mallet that Dad had uh, built out of wood, uh, very historic, and has beat out a lot of shingles at Dad's place. And they began to make a, a tobacco stick for themselves. And as Danny was struggling, and it was hot, and he was sweating, and, and it was uh, uh, just bending and prying and pushing and pulling and couldn't get positioned just right, and finally he was getting down through uh, the stick and he said, I would rather clean up vomit. <laughs> so the vomit a minute ago reminded me of that, that Danny uh, is a nurse, and he said he would rather clean up vomit than to make tobacco sticks for 18 cents a piece. A whole lot of work uh, in that. So thank you for, for coming down to Mayfest yesterday. Anybody that was down there, a um, lot of vendors. Um, I went around and purchased some things from uh, people that looked like they weren't getting as much traffic just to try to be a good citizen and make their... Uh, day for coming down. But I want to end this series this week and I want us to pivot or spin towards an ending to this topic in not only unwholesome talk, but I want us to think about unwholesome listening. Listening is an art. Listening must be intentful. You have to decide that you want to listen. And as I thought about this topic that I want us to talk about unwholesome listening to end this series, Dusty told us in week three how to react or how to deal with unwholesome talk when it comes our way. 
But there is an art of listening where that wholesome listening would be listening with intent and listening with the purpose of understanding that as you're hearing a conversation from the person that God has put you in their presence. And he positions us in places sometimes that we don't even want to be. Maybe it's a neighbor that's having a hard time or dealing with some issues in life and as they're there and they begin to put words upon your ears, you have to decide, do I want to listen to this and do I want to be available and do I want to be an answer and do I want to be Christ in the moment for this individual? Do I want to quote scripture to them or give them a life lesson that I've learned and help pick them up? Because this verse in Ephesians tells us to do it for the benefit of others, that we need to be accountable to God for what we say. And I also believe we're accountable for what we hear. People need Christians in their life. Because Christians, as Christians, we have an answer to the plight that we face as humans. This human existence that we're in, this life that we're living, is hard, is tough. But I know nothing has been wasted, as the song says. He's the potter, we're the clay. We have answers, folks, as Christians in this room today. But as I was thinking about listening, I went back to this verse, and this is at the ending of the Christmas story that is always read in Luke chapter 2. I want us to read at verse, start reading verse 45. It says, when they did not find him. So I need to give you a little preparation for that. They, it says here that they did not find him. What it's talking about is Jesus, his parents, Mary and Joseph, had made it a custom practice to go to Jerusalem for the feast, the religious purposes of their day. It's an annual feast that they must attend as Jewish people. And they reared their son, Jesus, who God gave them in this religious circle. And they fulfilled the duty as parents to bring their kids to God. So as they brought Jesus to Jerusalem, this pilgrimage, it was a pretty far journey. They would do it in caravans to protect themselves from outside forces. But as they got to Jerusalem, they got caught up in the moment and they was living out this celebration, this feast. How many loves a good celebration and a lot of food? Family reunions, amen. For those of us that don't cook, we love them, right? <laughs> it's a good time to get a go, enjoy the food of others' labors or the fruit of others' labors. But Jesus' parents had got caught up in this environment and everything was just going on and life was busy. And it was a season where that there was so much rejoicing and different things of people celebrating the goodness of God. That as the caravan left town that day for the event, they went in the journey and they just got in the caravan and took off and they was traveling back home. But the next day's journey, it says that they looked around and they figured out that they had left Jesus behind. It's a bad day when you lose Jesus. 
It's a really bad day when God trusts you as Jesus' mom and you lose Jesus. I remember hiding, and I've told this story often. I apologize to those that you may have been around the bridge for a while, but one time when we was kids, me and Howie decided to hide in the clothes rack at a clothing store, and Mom thought she lost us, her precious two little wonderful little children. She's probably glad, really, but frantic. And I mean, we was raised that uh, Mom believed that everybody was out to steal us because we was so perfect as kids. Um, Really embarrassing having to hold Howie's hand at 14 years old every time we left her sight. Thanks a lot, Mom. <laughs> it did take us long once we got out of her sight to let go pretty fast, you know what I'm saying? But it's frantic whenever you lose one of your kids. Has anybody ever experienced that, that for a moment or for an instant you lost your kid and it just... Fear and dismay takes over pretty quickly, and you don't worry about what others think. You run and you scream and you holler and you yell. And I've seen this at different events and points in my life that as a mother thinks their child is lost, it's a pretty hectic time. When they did not find him in the caravan, They returned to Jerusalem. So where are you going to find Jesus? Right where you left him. And that's always at the foot of the cross. So no matter how far you have ran from him, no matter how long ago you abandoned him, and the cross is never far away, It's just the turnaround, and he'll be right there. It says, then after three days, they found him in the temple. So there was a day's journey out when they decided they missed him. They returned to Jerusalem, and then three more days... They found him. But how many knows three days can change everything? I think this was prophetic in some ways, looking forward to the day when a mom and 12 disciples would watch their Messiah hang on a cross and die an agonizing death and be buried in a ground. But three days later, Jesus will be found. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. So the most important people in society in that day would be like going into one of the prestigious education and maybe Harvard in our world. And sitting down and talking to the people with doctorate degrees. So where they found Jesus was in the temple, sitting there talking to these type of individuals in the midst of the teachers. And it says this, that he was both listening to them and asking them questions. 
There's nothing wrong with listening, and there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Sure, there is unwholesome talk that will take place, but also there may be something wholesome that you will learn if you will listen. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to listen. Wives. <laughs> that was a pivotal moment for, for you right there to tell your husband to listen because more than likely they won't. Leslie often will look at me and say, be talking and, you know, maybe I even ask a question and then five minutes later I ask it again. She says, did you hear anything I said? I thought I was listening, but was I aware of what was going on? Probably not. He was both listening and asking questions. Verse 47, and all those who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I remind you, Jesus is 12 years old at this point. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have anxiously been looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? The King James says that I would be about my father's business. So if someone in society needs us, where would they find us? We need to be about Jesus' business in our lives. As Christians, people are listening not just to what we're saying, they're listening to what we're living. Body language matters. Amen? The lifestyle that we're living matters. Society is watching. Verse 50 says, this is looking at Jesus' mother, Mary. It said, but they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Jesus said some wholesome words, but they did not understand what he was saying. Have you ever read the Bible and had a hard time understanding? Most people say they won't read the Bible because they can't understand it. Or they can't get the meaning or the just of what the verses are saying. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come upon us and will bring awareness to us. That he will give us understanding. That he will remind us of all things that Jesus has said. Verse 51 says, And he went down with them to Nazareth. So Jesus gets back in the caravan and heads out of town. And he continued in subjection to them. Parents, if your kids are sitting close by you, tell them to be in subjection to you until they turn 18 and go on their merry way. Amen. Don't look over, Joe Don. She's looking at you, hoping you're going to say it. She's glad she turned 18. But then the verse goes on to say, And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary thought about and treasured these words that Jesus had just spoken, that he would be about his father's business. Whenever you see your kids do good deeds or shed love in a community or to a group of people that don't deserve it 
or be there for their friends when others are abandoning them. As parents, you put a treasure in your heart that you love seeing that take place. Jesus' mother treasured these words in her heart. Verse 52, it says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. This is the last we hear of Jesus at the age of 12. The next time we see him in Scripture is whenever he turns 30 and he comes on the scene and Jesus' mother asks him to perform a miracle at a marriage supper. But the treasure that she had as she was rearing this child named Jesus was the words that he had spoken. And she had witnessed him listening to those with wisdom, the teachers of the day. And it may seem insignificant at that moment to Jesus and the actions that he was doing, sitting there listening to the wisdom of the people of the day. It may seem insignificant to him, but I'm telling you small things make big differences. The Bible says never despise the day of small beginnings. We all want to do big, glorious, extravagant things, but Jesus is telling us, be faithful over the small things. The little actions that you can do on a daily basis that really cost you nothing, that really don't seem all that significant. Over time, if you plant enough seeds, Corey, they will come back in fruit in your future, in your life. Small actions of compassion will make a remarkable difference in the lives of others. If God has blessed you with resources, then be a blessing to others. If he has blessed you with wisdom, then share that wisdom with others. I'm going to read you a story that I found on the internet. And it's a story that I believe is something that we all need to hear today because it's something as a society we are witnessing and realizing all around us. The guy's name was Don Ritchie. Anybody ever heard of Don Ritchie? Me neither, until I found this story. Don Ritchie lived beside a cliff that was used for suicidal jumps for over 50 years. He lived beside of this cliff. Every time someone approached the cliff, he would go out and make sure that they wouldn't take their life. Over the years, he had stopped at least 160 people Documented from killing themselves. Everybody say that's making a difference. And that's just an official estimate that they've got. The real number is said to be by his family to be surely over 400 individuals that he had stopped from jumping off the cliff. Don passed away May 13th of 2012. 
Don happened to live near a gap, an ocean sea cliff in Sydney, Australia. It's a popular visitor destination which has gained infamy as a suicide spot over the years. It's estimated that 50 people a year end their lives there each year. As individuals walk up to the cliff looking at the crashing waves below and wondering whether to jump, Don would approach them with a smile and ask this, why don't you come and have a cup of tea? Accepting his offer, these people would be invited into his home where they would have a chat over tea. No counseling, no advising, no prying, just one human being lending a listening ear to another. Some of these people had mental problems, some had mental illnesses, some are just people going through a rough patch in life. For many, a listening ear was apparently all that they needed to change their mind. And after the listening session, they would leave and return back home to their families. Thank God for people like Mr. Ritchie. As Christians, we see and hear these stories often of suicide all around us. Our small community here in Lewis County is not exempt from those things. Young and old, rich and poor, none of those things determine who are facing these battles. We need to be listeners as Christians. The ear that hears. The voice of those that are hurting. They are here if we will find them. I thank God for Dusty and Albie for all they do for the youth for those that are going through a hard situation in life and when you're in your teenage years, it's not easy. Life is not easy. And I love giving the youth an opportunity to speak on this platform and this stage and this, to this body of Christians known as the Bridge Church because they have something to say. The question is, as adults, are we listening? Are we there for them when they need us? Last year, Dusty and Albie, they paired up a lot of, of our teenagers with other adults in the room and were assigned to each other that they would be there for each other and help each other when they're struggling. And the teenagers had a safe place that they could let their voices be heard to those that would listen, that those that would pray with them would give them wisdom and God's word to help them through tough situations in life. But it's not just young and old. This can take place in your work site. When you're around someone in that many hours, you can see when there's a change in their action or their demeanor or you know of situations going on in their life. Don't shun them and don't walk away from them and abandon them in the moments they're struggling. Go up and be the listening ear. Be the one that doesn't pry for gossip, but the one that pries for information so that you can help them through their struggle. Christians need to be there 
in the moment. Sometimes there's individuals that we may walk past on the street that may on the verge, be on the verge of throwing in the towel of giving up. We may be like Mr. Ritchie, the person that God has placed there in that moment to be the listening ear. And I know we may not share cups of tea, but you can get you a caramel mocha sloppy, whatever they're called, I don't know. I had one yesterday for the first time. It was really good. <laughs> Somebody bought it for me. They're here today. Thank you very much for my caramel mocha something or another. I paid it forward because I bought the person that was behind me their drink next and the beautiful part was they walked up behind me just in time and they told me that their daughter a little girl about yay high had walked over to one of the tables downtown and they had these cups there that had all this artsy stuff all over it and the little girl had no idea what she was doing but she saw one of these sippy cups and it's beautiful one and she couldn't stop herself from grabbing it and she grabbed it real fast and stuck it in her mouth and you know what that means as a parent. You just bought it. <laughs> so they asked the person, how, how much is that cup? Well, it's $30. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's probably why I was sitting on the edge of the table so the little girl could get to it. It's a good sales tactic. But I was able to purchase a drink to put in the $30 cup. We need to be there for those that are facing situations in their life. And religion is something that generations that are living today are abandoning in a mass exodus. And it's a situation that we are in this moment that we have to decide what are we going to do to make sure that the next generation knows about this Jesus that we know about. The Springtide Research Institute recently surveyed more than 10,000 Americans aged 13 to 25. They're known as Generation Z, Gen Z. And they asked them about their religious views and their involvement. And what surprised the researchers are the views of those who claim to be affiliated with the mainstream religion The executive director revealed that they are checking the box that says they are either Jewish or Catholic or whatever, but over half of them are saying, even though I checked that box, I don't trust organized religion. This sort of stunned is not what you expect from somebody who has checked the box. The report advised that many one-on-one -on -one mentoring between adults and youth is what is needed. So these youths also responded that relational authority, which means authority that is not based on hierarchy or titles so much as a genuine interest in young people as individuals. Four in five Gen Z members surveyed said they were likely to take guidance from adults 
who cared about them. The report pinpoints five values that characterize the relational authority. Listening, number one. So if you want the next generation to hear what you are saying in wholesome talk, the first thing you need to do is get better at listening. Look at your neighbor and say, learn to listen. Now tell the neighbor on the other side, you really need to learn to listen. Because I assure you that you chose that person as you said it to first because you thought they wouldn't listen. Number two is transparency. Number three is integrity. Number four is care. And lastly is an expertise. So when I heard that, I thought expertise in what? If we're displaying Christ to others and displaying Christ to the next generation, what does it mean to be an expert? I'll call it this, the school of hard knocks. Has anybody went through the school of hard knocks? I want to see a show of hands, adults, how he's been through it. The rough, the tumble, the hard. It feels like we come out beat up, wondering and amazed that we made it. But God allowed you to go through things so that you could help others not to have to endure the same thing. Pass on the knowledge that you have learned. Pass on the wisdom that you have seen lived out in your life that God has allowed you to garner throughout your life. The young people want to know you're an expert at the school of hard knocks. Don't just sugarcoat, don't just paint a pretty picture, but get into the weeds, get into the situations, and let them know I've faced hell and high water, but Jesus has brought me through. He's brought me out. He made stable what seemed like was a, a situation that seemed like the world was crumbling under my feet, but when Christ came in my life, it changed everything. Being an expert doesn't mean that you have to be able to quote all of Scripture. It means you have to be able to explain the reality that Jesus is in the situations of your life. That He cares. That He listens. That He has a transparency that He will open up. The windows of heaven over your life. Expertise comes last on the list intentionally because 65% of young people say an adult's expertise doesn't matter unless they know the adult cares for them. You see young people sitting in this room today, teenagers, for those of you in your 20s, I want you to know this. Your pastor loves you and your pastor is grateful that you're here today. And I'm not saying that because I've got the microphone. I'm saying that because that's the life I want to live. Because there's no greater joy I know of in my life. When I walk into a restaurant there the day at Chiggers, and a bunch of little snotty-nosed brats runs over and tells me, get out. <laughs> Alan, that was your kid, by the way. Thank you very much. 
Once I got my footer, I guess it was my time to go. I don't know. But she knows who I am. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve as your pastor. And I don't take it lightly. And our prayer warriors that's in the prayer group that constantly pray over those that are sick or those for those that are dealing with health situations or different things going on in their lives, I want you to begin to pray often for these young people that's sitting in this room. And what I want you to pray is that we would learn how to people with gray hair in their beards or gray hair on their head underneath the dye to begin to listen better. To have wholesome listening skills that God would use us to make a difference in the lives that are put before us. Christians, I want you to know that we live under a microscope, a life under a microscope. And as Christians, we always have and we always will. The world is watching. So my question to us today is, are we living up to our full potential as the Bridge Church to convince our family, our friends, our neighbors that Christ is the answer to our woes? And are we asking them to prepare for eternity and to go to heaven with us? This is a big task, but God has called us for such a time as this to speak and to listen. So as parents, often I know you've said this to your kids, do as I say, not as I do. Has anybody ever said that to your kids? Do as I say, not as I do? How's that working out for you? They're end up going to be like you. Paul the Apostle said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul spoke often about being the example that the church would follow. As Christians, all eyes are on us because God has given us a responsibility to speak wholesome words and to listen to those who hurt. I want to pray over us, if you will allow me. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today would be an awesome day for you to give your life to Him. It's very simple. All you have to do is ask Him to forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and dwell with you and let Him know you want to live with Him forever in eternity. He said if any man would open the door that He would come in and that He would sup with us. So if you feel like you don't know where to go and life has thrown you curveballs that you cannot handle, 
give your life to him today and see if he will not make a difference. Because I assure you, he will. If you've known Christ before and you've walked away from him, you've abandoned the call that he's placed in your life. And you can sense in this moment that he's calling you to come back home. As I said earlier, just turn around. And he's going to be right there. The foot of the cross is always right next to you. Turn to him. Give your life to him. Renew your relationship with him. That's his desire. So if everybody would, just bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. God, I pray today for those that have been here, that have listened, and that have heard these words about unwholesome talk and unwholesome listening. God, I pray that they would not fall on deaf ears, but it is ears that hear. And God, this isn't just something, a season that we've walked through as a church, as a sermon series, but it's something that will prepare us for our future. God, continue to be in that moment of our lives when words that we are getting ready to speak are not wholesome. God, that you would bring conviction upon us. That you would condition us to be prepared to speak encouraging words. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. That you would give us an understanding, God, of your words and their reality in our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just rest upon us as a church known as the bridge, that in our community, that we would be a church that would be there for the community. That we would be a blessing and not a curse. God, that we could give answers to those that are struggling. And God, for those that are facing thoughts of suicide, and that the enemy has come in like a flood, God, I pray today that you would allow us as Pastor Wells preached so many years ago, that we would be on the one-yard line from hell. And Lord, that we would stop them from entering eternity without knowing who you are. God, help us to be the people that hear, the people of compassion, the people that make a difference. Rest upon us, O oh God. Renew our faith. For those that's in the room that's giving their lives to you today, God, I pray, dwell with them. For those that are returning to you, that's renewing their faith and trust in you, that they're coming back home today, God, I pray that you would just go with them throughout this week. God, that you would give them the ability to see life in a whole new facet. That they would see you in situations. And that they would make a difference in the lives of others. Help us to be about your business the way that Jesus was. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.